Welcome, welcome back to the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. This is the podcast where we dissect and analyze the magic of storytelling and learn how to harness that magic to supercharge our everyday lives. I'm Gaurav. And I'm Kevin. You know, Kev, it's been a year, over a year into the pandemic and we're learning so much more about, you know, digital storytelling and communication and connecting with a lot of people. Both of us, you know, started new jobs and we have to learn how to build personal relationships over camera. And it's, it's such an interesting dynamic because, you know, Zoom and uh, video chat software feels very operational. If you're gonna have a Zoom meeting, you have to have a reason why. It's not just like sitting around the office and hanging out. And as my team kind of slowly starts going back into the office, I am reminded of what I was missing, um, of that really those kind of personal elements that you only learn in the office. And, you know, there's actually a connection here to our podcast itself, because we recently got some advice from uh, one of our mentors. I'm going to call him Professor Podcast um, about adding elements of our personality into our conversations, because usually with our interviewers, we get so dialed in on the person pulling out storytelling insights and talking about the field. We kind of forget. And it's important that we tell the audience who we are as the episodes go along so that they can kind of build that connection with us, that connection we want with them. You know, thinking back to uh, the very beginning of this podcast, we've said from the start that this is also going to be a story uh, about the two of us. So we are going to, you know, improve ourselves in this manner uh, by bringing more of our own experience uh, up front uh, through this show because we uh, are storytellers ourselves. Uh, we need to practice uh, the skills uh, as we learn too. And you know what? We're going to talk a little bit more about this in our episode actually, Kev. Who are we talking to today? Today, we are talking to Carolina Argreas Navas. Right now, she works as a group product marketing manager uh, at Snap, which is a company that really innovated uh, the way we interact with our camera through the use of Snapchat. Through Carolina's lens today, we are going to learn about what product marketing is, you know, how is it different from the traditional sense of marketing, and more importantly, how does she use um, storytelling in everything that she does? Yeah, I'm excited. Let's turn it over to Carolina. Carolina, to start us off, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your story? Yeah, sure. So um, I am currently the head of product marketing for Snap's augmented reality, camera, and visual search products. Um, not everyone will even know what some of those terms mean, but hopefully in this session, we'll talk a bit about that. Um, my path to get here has been kind of interesting. Uh, when I graduated college, I had never heard of a role called product marketing. So this is not something that I thought, oh, that's definitely what I want. I'm going to get there. Um, I'm a first-generation Cuban-American. No one in my family has worked in tech, held product roles, or even marketing positions. But what I knew is that I'm both left and right-brained. I wanted to do something creative, but also large problem-solving and using numbers. And so I thought maybe advertising is right for me. I sort of started off thinking, let me go the agency route. 
Um, I want to know if good advertising at the heart of it is knowing people and what resonates with people. So I really started saying, okay, let me start off in insights, understanding people. If I can understand people, I could probably, you know, do something good within the advertising space. And so that's why I started in research. I started my career working at Nielsen, uh, which is, you know, a big research uh, and measurement company. They're typically known for TV ratings, but they do other things. And so I started in advertising research and insights and measurement, spent a few uh, years there uh, in different positions. I then went to a startup within the measurement space uh, and started to work within a startup uh, and held product roles within that startup. And then I moved over to Snapchat in a measurement position. Um, so, you know, that's been interesting. And from Snapchat, I ended up transitioning over into products because I wasn't just understanding people. I was understanding how well our products resonated with people. And that was really my, my move into helping to build products because a good product is one that resonates with customers. Um, and so that background ended up shifting uh, me over. And that's how I even heard about product marketing and, and figured out what it is and kind of have spent the last, uh, you know, five years or so within the, the product marketing organization here at Snap. Yeah, you know, that's a great story. And I love that idea of it starting out with research, starting out with people understanding emotions. And it's a big part of how we view storytelling. You know, it's about talking to a person and talking to a human and resonating them and creating an emotional impact and truly understanding them. And that's why we are so passionate, obviously, about storytelling. So I think first thing we kind of want to do is take a step back and ask you, what exactly is product marketing and how does that differ from, you know, traditional marketing? You know, product marketing is really about two sides of the equation around product building. On one side, it's around what we call inbound product marketing. And all that is, is understanding people, understanding needs and opportunities that your products could potentially help solve. What are problems that exist out there that aren't solved yet? What is causing friction for the core customers that as a business you're trying to target and better serve or build a solution for? And so that is a lot of research. It's a lot of insights. It's a lot of um, understanding trends within the industry and consumer shifts. It's also looking and talking to your existing customers, what part of your existing product is working and not, and taking all of those insights and all of that feedback back to your you know, whole product and engineering team and saying, how do we solve these? Uh, how do we solve these with technology, with software, uh, with physical products in some cases? Um, that's one part of product marketing. And then the other part is, how do you bring this product to market? We've now built this product with all of these rich insights. How do we now find product market fit? How do we make sure that when we launch this product, we're talking about it in the right way. We are targeting the right people. We're setting the right goals and expectations of how many people will use it. And we're communicating that and we're reaching them and we're driving those goals. So that's really the two sides of product marketing. It's inbound with those insights and then it's outbound with actually bringing it to market and partnering with a lot of different functions and teams to do that. I'd say it's one of the most collaborative, uh, you know, functions and titles that you could be in, especially within a tech uh, company. You are in the middle of engineering and product and design on one side and on the other side, you're kind of with the research and insights team, you're with marketing, you're with comms, you're with sales teams. Uh, so it's, it's kind of this, this touch point between all of those different functions. I'm wondering, you know, for that kind of workflow, uh, how do you apply uh, storytelling as a skill? And uh, especially, you know, uh, 
you mentioned that there are two sides to product marketing. So across those two sides, is storytelling different? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, story, storytelling takes so many different forms. I think that especially in a role like product marketing, you're doing a lot of storytelling all the time. On that inbound side of taking and understanding the customer, there's a lot of storytelling. One part of storytelling in that part is listening. Uh, and listening to others' stories, right? Uh, so one part of storytelling and being a good storytelling is being a good listener um, and, and having a lot of curiosity. And so how do you hear someone's story or a group of people's story and really get at the root of what they really mean and what they really saying? What is their story really about? Because they might be saying something, but they really mean maybe something else uh, or something is a little bit more you know, deeper within what they're saying. So for example, uh, you might, you know, let's, let's take something like visual communication, right? This is something at Snapchat, which we talk a lot about, uh, something that is, is core to the products that we've built, which is we really feel that visual communication, rather than just using text messaging, is really rich and it can solve a lot of people's problems. Uh, but the question is, what are those problems? Is that, is that real or not? You know, does does that actually exist? Is there product market fit there, right? Is, is that really going to solve the problem? So what do you do? You need to go out and understand people's stories. And when you go out and talk to someone, you're not going to go out and say, hey, tell me your story with visual communication. They're going to be like, what? Uh, so you need to hear what they're saying and understand kind of those underlying messages. Maybe what they're saying is, I would love to kind of talk to my friends all the time, um, but you know, it's not always, I don't always feel comfortable doing that, especially with the camera. I feel intimidated by the camera um, or things get lost over text message. Someone sent me that, but I didn't understand their tone, right? All of those things aren't explicitly saying, you know, if I used visual communication, it would solve it. Uh, but it's really around listening that's super critical there. So that's one part of just good storytelling is listening. And then it's, how do you take all those stories you listen to and then create a compelling story about this case of this opportunity that you can go out and solve for. And a lot of that storytelling is really meant for internal stakeholders within a company. You're going to go tell that story to your other product's counterparts, the product managers, the engineering teams, the design team, you might have to design products around it. Well, what do you do there? This isn't about telling a fanciful story uh, that everyone just thinks sounds amazing. It has to be validated because if you're going to put resource against it, <laughs> It, you know, it has to work, right? Or you, you hope that it works. Uh, you'll never know for sure if it will, but you can help gather evidence. And so a part of good storytelling isn't just saying and telling a beautiful story that sounds compelling. It's backing it up with research and data points. So a huge part of storytelling, especially when you're talking to groups like engineering, finance, because you might need funding, this is where data and validation becomes critical. Uh, so you're going to tell a story. You're going to tell a story that's really rooted in true insights from people, true behavior. You're going to try to validate that with stats wherever you can. Maybe you're running surveys. Many, maybe you're looking at you know financial trends within the industry and piecing those together and using those as validation points. These are all different types of data points that you could use. Maybe you're looking at the customer journey within your own product and you're saying, hey. 60% of our customers are falling off right after they take this action. There's something wrong here. Maybe that helps validate the proposal that you're making. So that's a lot of the storytelling there. It's data-driven storytelling um, in a way that you're speaking in a language that that customer is going to understand. And that customer might be a very technical team, which means the way that you talk 
should be thinking about what resonates with them, the types of things that 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 make sense to them. Um, and that's always the key. And then on the outbound side, again, it's different storytelling. Now you're going back to that same customer you maybe talked to at the beginning. Well, you're in a really amazing position if when you're talking to them, you had already understood the words that they use, the language that they use, the problems that they said they have. The moment that you center your story around those things that you've validated and that you've heard, the more likely your story will be successful because it's going to be relatable. And so I think the biggest key here and the biggest trend across all of them is making sure your story is relatable, your story is honest, and your story is true. And you can get honesty, relatability, and truthfulness in different ways. Sometimes it's data. Uh, sometimes it's the, the words you use. Uh, there's Sometimes it's the format in which you're explaining it. Uh, there's so many tools out there, but I think those are some of the constants that you'll see in all of that different type of storytelling. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. You brought up a couple of times and about kind of working collaboratively in a product marketing role and this idea of collaborative storytelling where uh, one of the biggest parts of your roles as a product person is to help kind of shepherd that story through different teams and bring in those different elements. Can you talk, tell us a little bit more about that, about working cross-function with these teams, understanding how to kind of switch languages and kind of understand their needs and put them all together? Yeah. You know, collaboration isn't always easy. Actually, I think collaboration sometimes could be one of the hardest things. Sometimes it's easier to say, okay, I can make my own decision. I can go move forward. I don't have to wait for others. I, you know, the bigger the room, maybe the more complicated it is. Um, but also collaboration can yield the best products um, or the best answers or the best strategies. Uh, why? Because you're bringing in a lot of different experts. And I think one of the key ingredients to good collaboration is is really looking at others as experts and people who know more about things that you don't know. Thinking about that as a positive thing. How do I surround myself by people who know so much more than me in other areas? Because I know that that's gonna make the product better. And that's a humbling you know, experience. You as a person are thinking about how others are, are better than you and your own weaknesses in a positive way when it comes to collaboration. So I think first off, like that's a really key part of collaboration is saying, you know, humble yourself and, and think about how do you surround yourself with different perspectives. Um, and that is a very good thing. You don't have to know the answers because you don't, you don't have to make every decision by yourself. Um, and that releasing that pressure of you don't have to know every answer, I think is very free actually. Um, and it opens the door to real collaboration because you're really listening then, because you're really respecting someone then and their opinion and allowing that to influence. So I think that's kind of just, that's like step one to good collaboration. Um, I think step two to good collaboration is, is communication. Um, and of course, communication and storytelling to me is almost the same thing. I think when, it, when, it, when I say speaking, speaking the same language, what I mean by that is really understanding and taking the time to know your cross-functional stakeholders and those cross-functional teams. Um, it's about spending time with those people one-on-one, -on -one, um, even outside of just talking specifically about work, but truly understanding them and, and thinking when they're talking and you're connecting with them about the type of language that they use or their working style. Being an effective communicator is about understanding people's working style and tone and understanding what is what what brings them joy in their work 
right? I, I oftentimes think a lot of, and I ask this a lot in interviews as well, when I'm interviewing someone for the team, which is, you know, where do you get energy from? Uh, what brings you joy? What ends up motivating you um, and is the best part of your job? And the reason why I think that's so important is because if you're done working with different people in different teams, if you can think about a situation where you can actually get a ton of their help and support um, and position it in a way where you're focusing on things that you know bring them joy and, and are the best part of what they love to do, win-win, right? Um, so much of product marketing is actually creating influence to influence other teams to help you execute because as product marketers, you're actually not doing that full process. You're not the one building the product and you're not the one creating the campaign. You're actually influencing the product and then you're influencing that campaign on the marketing side or you're influencing the entire sales team. And the best way you could do that is by getting them bought in, by, by focusing on what motivates them. And that's really important, I think, to effective uh, cross-functional collaboration. Uh, because then it doesn't feel like you're just tasking them with something that they hate to do. Uh, it actually feels like you're tasking them with a strategic opportunity uh, where they're going to get value from it. They're going to be able to grow their career. They're going to be able to do tasks that they enjoy. Um, and, and I think that's really critical. So it's spend the time with your stakeholders, understand them, understand how they communicate, but also understand what motivates them. And then think about how you, how you structure that into the way that you communicate uh, with them ongoing. And, and how you collaborate. With this kind of idea of working class function, understanding what gets them excited, uh, understanding the person themselves a little bit more, how has COVID and Zoom changed that? As Zoom is pretty operational. So how, how has that changed how you collaborate and work on kind of these overarching projects? Yeah, that is that is a great question. And, and it definitely took adjusting, um, you know, Everyone is, first off, everyone is different. Actually, for some people, maybe Zoom is a more comfortable setting for them than in person. You know, it's, it's quite interesting, right? Like being, I think, you know, being in a room of people and everyone is talking together physically in person can actually feel more intimidating uh, for some people than when you're on a Zoom call. So that's one thing, right? It's actually, to some extent, over Zoom, I saw like some people blossom actually and some people come out of their shell more, which to me was quite telling and interesting and has affected the way that if we, you know, eventually transition back in person, how I will communicate or help to foster that person's comfortable, how comfortable they are within a setting. Uh, so I think that that's just been an interesting thing. The second uh, thing I'd say is, you know, for me personally, I find that it's harder to see that human part of people sometimes on Zoom, because to your point, it's a very more efficient, like, you're in, you have a goal, you have an agenda, like you're out, right? You're not like hanging out, um, you know, like water cooler talk uh, as much. And so sometimes it's like, how do you, how do you actually create that environment where it feels more casual? Um, I think that that for me, I find that more effective because it puts down your guard. You're thinking less of just the task list that you had put together for that meeting. And I think sometimes with an open conversation, you end up finding new ideas that you hadn't thought about before or wouldn't have come up because it was in a predetermined agenda list. Um, and so it's about how do you create that level of comfort? How do you create those, those casual in-between conversations? And I think you do it in a, you can do it in a few different ways. One way is, you know, you could schedule sessions for just hanging out, whether that's, you know, let's do virtual team lunch today. 
and everyone just joined just for lunch. And so you're just hanging out, right? That's you're, you're creating Zoom sessions for that idea of just like that more laid back environment of getting to know someone. Again, every session where you're getting to know someone, even a casual one can be extremely productive for work uh, because you're getting to know them as a person. You're going to learn how to communicate better with them. And so if you see all those opportunities as, as a, you know, getting to know people will actually is a part of your success and their success as well. You know, I think it changes your willingness or desire to want to, to have those more casual settings. Another one is just like, how do you, you know, even taking a specific session and how do you bring a little bit more fun to it? So for example, like, you know, we, we were kind of running up against this really big deadline, this really big project and initiative. And everyone was a bit tired and it was a very cross-functional group of people. And, and it was another kind of a bit late, late of a meeting. And, you know, I don't even know where the idea came from, but we just decided, oh, I do, I remember now. One, one person, he always wore this like amazing hat. Um, he was like in sessions where I was like, you look so cool. Like, what is this hat? And so we decided for that session, we were like, you know what, um, I'm, I'm going to wear a hat to the session. And we ended up making it like a hat party. And literally it was like late at night and we all had ridiculous hats on and it just changed the environment. Like that small thing, all of a sudden it disarms people. Right. And so I think there's different ways that you could go about it. Uh, there's no one right answer. I don't think. Um, but I think in general, taking all of the experiences away from this past uh, year and, and who knows how much longer, hopefully you're just using these sessions to, to learn more about people. Um, because I think that that's going to just be the ingredient that helps you change and improve your working relationship, uh, whether you're in person in the future, or again, whether you continue to maintain uh, kind of these virtual sessions. Those are really great points. And Whenever that hat party is uh, happening again, we got to sign Guava up for it. He loves his fedoras. Perfect. <laughs> for me, you know, sometimes taking away that in-person layer definitely kind of encouraged myself to uh, communicate a lot more, reach out a lot more over the Zoom setting. So uh, it's definitely important for people to you know, with the understanding that uh, a lot of the communication are going uh, to be remote, uh, to take more active steps to uh, communicate or uh, have more fun or, or, you know, put your own character to all the communications. And it, it, it does get easier in some aspects. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, I do think there are benefits in it that get lost. You know, because I think for me, you know, I was interning remotely. Kevin was in, uh, is interning remotely. And I think for reaching out to people and asking them for their time and talking to them and networking, that I feel like was a lot easier and a lot less scary over Zoom <laughs> in a sense, because like, I felt like it was just easier just to message someone and say, hey, do you want to have a 20-minute coffee chat? No worries if you don't have time, but might as well try, you know? Yeah, it feels less intimidating. That, and that's what's interesting. It, I think it hasn't all been negative, right? I think it's been mm -hmm. positive to some extent as well. And I think, again, it's just, there's a lot to learn from the experience. So that's the number one takeaway is just like be reflective. Like don't just be like, oh, this is annoying or this is good and end it there. Like, like pause and think like, why was that uncomfortable or why was that good? And how do you then think about applying that, you know, in the future? We've been talking a lot about internal storytelling, communicating at and stuff. I want to talk about a little bit of external storytelling now, uh, the outbound stuff. 
So what do you think are the essential kind of elements of strong product stories for external? I think there's a few things. First off, know your customer um, and know who they are. So I think that that's one thing is just identifying who is it that you're building this story for? Um, who are they? And, and identifying that. Because if your story is one that's undefined in terms of customer, then you're going to have a harder time telling a story because now you have to find or you have to defer to themes that are just like almost so generic because everyone could relate to them that it's actually harder to tell a story that way, uh, right? Uh, and so I think step one is really identify the customer that you're, you're targeting. Um, and that's a critical piece. And identifying who the customer is is one thing, identifying what they care about, what their values are, what their problems are. That's actually the number one thing I'd say. And that's kind of leads into the second point is what are the challenges you're solving? Uh, so one, who is the customer? And two, what is, are the challenges you're solving? Um, because good product building and product storytelling is really one about problem solving. If you're building a product that doesn't solve any sort of problem, uh, then it's going to be hard to get that product to be used because it's not really going to enhance someone's life. Um, and so I think that that's really critical um, is what are the challenges you're solving? Um, and a part of that, again, it's, it's using data to validate that that's true, right? It's not like your personal opinion about problems that people have. You have to take personal bias out of this. That's really, really important to all of these pillars, which is remove personal bias. Um, never make assumptions about people. I think that's just such an important um, kind of, I think value, especially in today's world, um, is, is never to make assumptions about people or assuming that your personal experience is the same as theirs, because it absolutely is, is not. And so that's the second kind of piece, I think, about good storytelling and product storytelling. So the third component is about your message and that message being relatable. And I think the key to a relatable message is it's really about a message that's going to resonate because it's speaking to a specific audience and it's personal to them. And it is talking about the things that they care about. And again, all of those components uh, build from the first two points, right? So step one, if you know your customer, step two, if you really know the problems that they have, it means that step three of building a message is going to be a lot easier to do uh, because you're focused on one that is personal. That's really just important. The last piece, I think of really good, uh, you know, product marketing in general, um, and it's maybe less to do with just the story you're telling, but it's really, it's understanding how effective your story was. And so I think the last kind of really critical piece here is measurement and accountability of the effectiveness of what you're doing. How good is your product you know, landing? Um, what, how is that customer experience with your product or is that message effective or not? Are you seeing people kind of want to join your, your product or sign up or buy it um, as a result of what you put out into the market? And so I feel like those are really like the four most important uh, steps and parts of storytelling, especially as a product marketer. It's, it's identify your customer and understand them as much as you can. It's identify the challenges that they have that you're trying to solve for. Uh, it's build a relatable message that's focused on those things, assuming that your product really does solve those. And then lastly, it's, it's just continuously, you know, having a data-driven approach to the effectiveness 
of, of what you're putting out there from both a messaging perspective as well as from an actual product perspective. So to close out every one of our episodes, we have the segment called Suspenders. It works like this. We ask you a random fun question that's unrelated to anything, and you can give us any random fun answer you feel like. So our question of the day is, if you had the world's attention, the whole world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> yep. Any answer oh, you feel gosh. like? Oh, I think, you know, my answer would probably be around mental health. It's just such a, a big topic right now, especially with the Olympics and everything that happened with, with some of the, the athletes in the Olympics. I think if you had the world's attention, I think I'd say you have to have empathy. You know, people are going through things that you might not know and you not might not understand and aren't your personal story. And the more that you understand that your experience, uh, while 100% valid, is not the same as other, as other people's, the moment that you actually open your mind to understanding that and listening to that, the more I think we'll be in a better place because your mental health is actually not even just as important as your physical health. It's sometimes it's even more important. Your your mind controls everything. Even your mind, your brain controls your your physical movement. And so, if your your mind is in a, a, a tough place, uh, we need to have a lot of empathy for that, and we need to you know accept that it's okay to not be okay. And the more that we can do that, and the more that we can remove ourselves when other people are talking about their needs. Uh, we have this constant desire to want to say, oh, yeah, well, what for me, <laughs> like maybe sometimes don't, like don't turn it about you. Actually, just just let that be for, for them because everybody is different. And I just think that's uh, a message that probably the whole world could could use a little bit more uh, reminding of, myself included. Carolina's great message to the world. And you heard it here first on the Linus and Plastic Tie podcast. Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the episode where we dissect some of the key learnings we got from this week's expert storyteller. And this week's expert storyteller was Carolina. How amazing was she, Kev? It's definitely a great episode uh, for us to come out of the hiatus. Uh, we are definitely so appreciative of Carolina's story and insights. Um, so let's dive straight in. Yeah, I think something she talked about was a reminder the first thing when you're telling a story is to get to know your audience. So learning number one, ask questions and truly listen so that you can not only hear what they are saying, but dive deeper to understand their core needs. And I think it's something we talked a lot about in very early on with why it's from Tesla, the idea that any important product person, their number one tool is asking why, the power of why, and listening to the response. So first step in any story time, get to know your audience, ask them why and listen. Absolutely. I think with the term storytelling, sometimes we get too fixated on the idea of telling the story, but it's important to remember that uh, to be able to tell the story, you have to listen to gather information before you can compile the information and the need 
you get from customers or uh, sources into uh, a story that you can tell. The second biggest learning we got uh, is that uh, the importance of communication to collaboration and storytelling. This sounds obvious, and we talk a lot about how you should speak the language in uh, collaborative work or in storytelling. But how do you uh, speak the language? You have to take the time to know your audience. Uh, and in the business sense, uh, that is going to be, you know, the people you're working with, uh, sometimes your stakeholders, whoever is going to listen to your story. Not only should you understand their business needs, but you also need to understand them uh, on a personal level as people. Uh, you know, what brings them joy, as Carolina would often ask people. In a cross-functional collaborative environment, you want to make sure that you know how to bring out the best in the people you're working with. And uh, this level of personal connection is even more important now that so many businesses or, uh, or so many of our interactions are becoming remote. Be honest, be true, be relatable, talk to people, build personal connections, find out what they're passionate about, and then get them working on that. Overall, you'll build a better product. Then, uh, for the other side of product marketing, the outbound uh, marketing as well, if you're, as Kianina said, relatable, honest, and true, you can tell a much more authentic story that connects emotionally with the consumers. So, this has been another episode of the Linen Suit and Passive Tie Podcast. Make sure you ask questions, listen, and communicate. Have a good one. <laughs>